All right, I know there's a lot of technology going on on me right now, and it's not my favorite, but... So this is for the... This is for... I'm not listening to a secret podcast. This is for the Facebook Live. This is for the podcast. Um, forgive me for kind of looking a little little dorky right now, right? With just the... But that's what we'll have to do. Um, we are... Where are the kids go? I was going to send the kids on a mission. I was going to send the kids on a mission. What I wanted them to do... If any of your kids come running to you, send them on a mission to count how many trees are in this park. Because I did not get a chance to do that. So if your kids kind of get bored at about, you know, after I'm done preaching for about, you know, an hour and 20 minutes, just send them, send them on, a, on a mission to go count how many trees are in the park. Um, and then, I, I don't know, I would guess. Anybody want to guess how many? 39. 33? Somewhere in the 30s? <laughs> Anybody want to <laughs> Anybody want to guess at $1? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, and there's just, you know, we're, we're in this, this series on the, the theology of trees, and there's just so many beautiful trees that we're surrounded by right now. But do the bushes count? See, that's where you get technical. Yeah. I'm going to, yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. No. You would say no? Um, yeah. I mean, there's this, this tree over here by the park is this beautiful, I think that's a ficus tree. I could be wrong, right? And then you have the, obviously the, the um, what's the purple one? The the jacarandas are kind of in bloom and in blooming in the front. And there's some oak trees and some eucalyptus. Um, there's a palm tree right here kind of randomly sprouted out. Somebody probably just planted that. Um, yeah, but we're in this series on the theology of trees. And what we're observing, too, is just the roles that trees play throughout the biblical narrative. Um, trees literally are everywhere. I said this two weeks ago when we started the series. Other than humans and God, trees are the most mentioned living thing in the Bible, right? So humans, God, and then trees are mentioned most. You think about trees everywhere. They foreshadow events. They culminate moments. They memorialize covenants. Um, from the beginning to the end, the Bible is literally this kind of narrative between trees, right? You have the tree of life and the tree of knowledge uh, in the Garden of Eden, right? And then you have this tree of life, this tree of healing in the New Jerusalem in Revelation, and kind of everything in between. And we often talk about how Jesus died on a tree, right? He was, he was crucified on a tree. Now, what I want to do, though, is I want us to remember way, way back. I want us to remember the last time you went to the movies, doesn't that seem um, such a novel concept, going to the movies? Can anybody remember the last movie that they saw in the theater? I Spin that long, huh? Onward? Star Wars? Yeah. I didn't see it, but Robin, you took the girls to go see Frozen 2. That would have been like November time, right? Wasn't Frozen kind of, didn't, didn't they do it like November-ish time? Um, I think the last good movie that I saw, and this one wasn't in the theaters. Anybody seen the film 1917? Right, 1917? Um, 1917 is a film, well, in the first few minutes of that film, you kind of figure out that there is a brother and his kind of friend, and they get these... They get these instructions, these orders, to, to convey a message 
to their other to his other brother who's in a different battalion in a different part of Germany, right? And this other battalion is walking into a trap, so it's this one brother and his kind of soldier friend, and they're on they're they're they have to hustle and get this message to these other brothers or to his other brother to prevent them from walking into this trap. Um, imagine if you were on your way to the theater to go see 1917, and traffic. Does anybody remember traffic? You guys remember we had traffic on the freeways? And traffic caused you to be late for that, right? And you'd miss the first 10 minutes. And so what would happen is if you miss the first 10 minutes of that film, or most films, you kind of miss a significant point or a significant portion of what the film's going to be about, right? Sometimes you can kind of pick up and get the general idea, but for the most part, you need to kind of understand what's happening in those first couple minutes because that really typically lays out how the film's going to progress and it's also going to kind of bring, um, it, the film will often kind of conclude back where it started, right? What happens is, is if in the Bible, if you misinterpret these first trees in Genesis, you kind of wander through the Bible a bit lost. You, you miss what's really happening, right? The, the trees, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the tree of life, literally are the kind of interpretive lens. It's the first 10 minutes of the Bible to understand really what's happening in the Bible, right? Um, if you have a Bible, speaking of Bibles, I would say go to Genesis chapter 2, and we're going to read a couple of verses there. And if you got your phone, you could do your phone. And so we're going to do Genesis 2, 8, and 9. And then 15 through 17. Uh, we talked about this two weeks ago. There's two creation narratives in the Bible. There's Genesis 1 creation narrative. There's Genesis 2 creation narrative. Um, Genesis 2, chapter 8 says, the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And then there's a little bit of an interlude where the Bible kind of talks about some rivers, the rivers that kind of flow through it. I'm actually thinking about finishing up this year doing a series on, on water in the scripture, because again, water just plays such a massive por uh, portion of the scripture. So if you go down then to verse 15, it says this, verse 15 says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. Now, in this, you get three commands, right? God gives Adam and Eve three commands. The first command is what? He says, I want you to go into that garden and I want you to work it. I want you to tender it, right? I want you to take care of it. I want you to maintain it. Uh, we talked, again, two weeks ago, I said, imagine God said to you, he said, hey, here's the keys to Hawaii, right? All the islands, the whole island changes. You... And your spouse, you can have at it, have fun. Here's the keys, like a pre-populated Hawaii. So it's not everybody there in the buildings and all that stuff. Just a wild, uninhabited, you know, you see 
billionaires going out and buying islands and those sorts of things. Imagine if God just said, hey, here's the keys to it. I want you to go enjoy it. You and your partner, just have fun, right? Now, you might think about that and be like, man, that sounds a bit overwhelming to me. That's like, how, how could I like, how, what would I do? What would all this, to, to maintain or to tend or to be in charge of that island, to be in charge of the garden would require knowledge, wisdom. You would be a co-laborer, a steward of the garden, right? God would say, here's the keys to it. I own the garden, but you can go labor and tend it and maintain it, right? So if you're feeling a little overwhelmed on it, what then if God said, here's the keys to Hawaii, right? These, this whole island chain, they're all yours. But let me tell you something. I'm going to walk with you every single evening and I'll be with you and I'll teach you what to do and I'll teach you how to maintain this garden and I'll teach you how to care for this garden. And so it was Hawaii, you and your spouse and the presence of God walking alongside you. This is exactly what God does to Adam and Eve, but he gives them the whole world. Here's the keys to the world. I'll walk with you. I'll give you the wisdom and the knowledge to enjoy it, to maintain it, to steward it. This is the first command we get in the scriptures, right? Here it is. Here's a gift. The second command that God gives is he gives the gift, and this is in verse, um, this is in verse 16. The Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, Right? The command here actually, in, in the Hebrew language, I was, I was learning this and I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but in the Hebrew language, the command is eat, eat. Like it's like God saying twice, eat, eat from any tree, any tree you want to, eat, eat. You are going to eat from any tree in the garden. Now this would include, what's interesting about this, this would include the tree of life, right? Oftentimes, people don't realize that Adam and Eve were commanded to eat of the tree of life right? It says the whole trees are in the garden and God says you're free to eat from any tree in the garden except for one, right? Oftentimes what people think is it's assumed that the, there's obviously we know you can't eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, right? That was the bad one. But then there's like this tree of life and the tree of life was somehow a reward or a prize if they were obedient or if, if Adam and Eve held up their end of the bargain, then they could go eat of that tree, right? But God says, all trees, including the tree of life, you are to eat from, right? The only one that you're not to eat from was the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The tree of life was a tree to be enjoyed. It was eternal life, not only a quality of life, right? Or not only a quantity of life, when we think of eternal life as being this kind of length of life, but it was also a quality of life, right? You eat of this tree, and in this tree was life itself. Something that was interesting to me as I was thinking about this, and and some of the theologians were pointing this out, is um, most theologians would point out that this tree, it was a continual eating of this tree. Just as if you have an avocado tree or a peach tree or an apple tree, you wouldn't just pick one apple and eat it and say, wow, that's the greatest tree in the world. I'm done eating it forever. It was this continual eating of the tree. And theologians even kind of push it in in some realms that I wasn't familiar with where they say that Adam and Eve potentially could have been mortal in the garden, right? We think of Adam and Eve as immortal, right? That they were in this garden and until they get kicked out, they were, they were immortal beings. But if they were mortal beings, right? And they would go to this tree and they were to consume the tree of life and to eat from the tree of life, that is how they would sustain and nourish that life in themselves. 
Um, we, in some senses, just have to eat from trees, so to speak, just to have that life to, to kind of sustain our life. Now, if there was a tree, and a tree of life from God that we would kind of come from, that we would eat, that would nourish them in that eternal life, right? So it's interesting because then in verse 17, when it says the knowledge, if you eat of the knowledge of tree of good and evil, you will die. How would Adam and Eve, if they were immortal beings, right, would they understand the concept of death? So it's kind of, again, this is kind of some, some kind of offshoot theological waters, but it's interesting to think that God says, I want you to eat of every single tree and I want you to eat of the tree of life. The tree of life was not a prize, was not a reward for obedience, or wasn't if they kept held our end of the bargain. You eat of that tree as well. Last command. The command then that we all know and that we're all familiar with is not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? Here's what's interesting about this is the tree ends up is the one that would it would kill them, right? God is not the killer. God does not say, if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, I will, you know, I will kill you, right? Sometimes I think that this gets a little bit misinterpreted, and this is where we kind of get the lightning bolt God, right? That when we make that mistake, when we, when we do the wrong thing, that as soon as we, we're disobedient, God's just up there ready to, to destroy us. When they eat of the tree, God exiles them. God banishes them from the garden. But he does this as a mercy, right? He doesn't kill them, but he says, you can't be in this garden and have access to this tree of life anymore. It would be, think of the worst day of your life. Uh, Maybe you lost someone dear. Um, Maybe you were laid off from a job or you were fired or you were dumped or you were... um, the, the, the worst thing or just that really bad day or you lost that big con all those sorts of things that kind of come in play and imagine if that happened and then it was just a groundhog day every day of your life that happening again and again and again imagine living forever in this broken and fractured world with no way to escape it right living through warlords um, the bubonic plague world war ii mouse china U.S. slavery, Sudanese genocide, um, apartheid, cancer, tragic death of a loved one. And imagine you lived in this kind of endless misery. When God exiles them from the garden, right, he cuts off access to the tree of life because in some senses that becomes a way of God being merciful saying, I don't want you to live forever in this broken and fractured world, right? Perhaps you know of someone who has an addiction, a depression, they live with, we say they they just have a demon that follows them and they just can't shake. And sometimes I really sense, and I've said this before, I really sense that sometimes you watch them die from whatever, an overdose um, or, or a suicide or whatever it is. And sometimes I sense it's almost God just saying, come here, child. You can rest now. You can let your guard down. I had a funeral I did a couple years ago. There was a kid that I was a junior high pastor for. And uh, this kid had the most incredible heart, right? He had such a brilliant, beautiful, kind soul. There was some sort of disconnect between his heart and his head that he was unable to take the goodness and the beautifulness and all the wonderful things and and utilize that to, to make good choices in his head. You guys know what I'm talking about? 
And so at one point, kind of as this kid grew up and he was in his early 20s, he ended up kind of taking his own life in, in a kind of convoluted way, but he ends up he ends up taking his own life. I did the funeral for this kid. You guys getting your workout in over there? Yeah? Oh, man. Give me a few minutes. I'll be done with this sermon. I'll come over and join you. I'll teach you a couple things, all right? <laughs> Not even on Father's Day do you get the love, right? Um, this kid, I did his funeral. A, a couple, you know, and I just remember with this, this young man, I've had this real sense in my heart that God said, just come on home. You can stop fighting. You can kind of give, you can just let go, you know. And, and again, I think of sometimes, we see this in the garden where, where God says, the eternal life, you, you can't handle that. Death almost becomes a mercy when God says, I'm going to cut you off from that eternal life until you can rehandle it again, until we bring all things together. So chapter 2, you get these three commands. Chapter 3, then the fall of man, you're, we're going to kind of see three things that, that kind of play against one another. I had it in my mind to use the whiteboard, although I haven't quite got up there. Let me see if I can do that in a little bit. Okay, chapter 3, verse 1. Sorry, you're probably familiar with. The serpent was more crafty than the wild animals uh, the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Now, what happens right here is Satan kind of creatively shifts from command to say, right? So in 2.16, God says, the Lord God commanded the man, right? And then Satan goes to the woman and says, did did God really say this? So Satan just kind of craftily shifts this. um, Some... It's, it's a subtle way to kind of soften the severity of God's commands. It's almost as if we told our kids, listen, kids, I command you, this is my rule. You are not allowed to cross the street, right? And then someone comes up to the kids and says, um, you know, hey, did, did, did your dad like mention that? Was that kind of just a passing comment? Did he, was he serious about not crossing the street, right? So Satan kind of comes in and just, and just softens the severity of the word. Right, And then in verse 2, this happens. She said, the woman says to the serpent, we may not eat from the fruit from the trees. Um, I'm sorry, verse 2. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. Verse 3, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. And notice what she adds. You must not touch it or you will die. Right? So, she kind of adds this, this second phrase on this. Um, this commentary that I was reading, this Torah commentary, it points out that she corrects God, and in her correction, she introduces into the conversation a suggestion of an unreasonable God, right? A suggestion of an unreasonable God. So again, we'll use our street analogy. Um, don't cross the street. That is the number one rule. I command you children not to cross the street, right? Ronnie goes over there and Ronnie says, did, did he say that? Did he mention that? Was he serious about that? Was that like, I, I don't, right? And then they say, well, you know what? My dad said that I can't even look at the street. I'm not even allowed to like, I have to just keep my eyes. Oh, and, and he is so strict and unreasonable and firm and harsh, right? And then this dialogue continues in verse 5, for God knows that when you eat 
of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So again, the serpent twists it again. Now God is strict, right? Now God is self-absorbed. He's selfish. He's paranoid that anyone might be as good as him. Satan undermines God's credibility, God's goodness, God's lovingness, his trusting, right? And so this is what happens. Now, not only can they not cross the street, not only can they not look at the street, then Ronnie says, you know what, kids? Um, The playground equipment here really isn't fun. On the other side of the street, that's where the action is. That's where things are really fun, right? God has these kids in this beautiful park, and he says, no, but in that backyard right there, I know you can't see it, but that is where the action is, right? Um, So you have this this kind of, this, this strict God, this selfish God, this God that's not trustworthy, this God that's not good. And then here's the last part of the trees that I want to point out. When you think about the tree of knowledge of knowing good and evil, right? Oftentimes what comes out is we just think that if you eat of this tree, it's just some sort of uh, mental ascent, this mental information, this this almost super brain, right? Like now you're going to know things. You're going to know morality and you're going to have all this, this wisdom. Knowing in Hebrew to know someone is an experience. It's a relational experience, right? What the tree is offering, Adam and Eve, is a mode of living, a relationship independent of God. That's what the tree is offering, right? So what happens is in Genesis 2 and 3, what we're really seeing is that you have two trees, two relational trees. And they are two ways to exist in the world. One that depends, the tree of life that depends on God for sustenance and nourishment and life. And one that says, I know, I have relationship, I have wisdom, I have knowledge, I know what to do. You have these two relational trees, these two ways to exist in the world. Um, lastly, this. the insid- uh, This is one commentary. i got to explain this for a second because this is... This is the handful of a, a quote. This is from the, this Torah commentary. Are you ready? The insidious nature of its discourse lies in the implication that defiance of God's law constitutes the indispensable precondition for human freedom. Everybody got that one? Right? That was a, that's a handful. Let me read it one more time and explain it. This, this conversation that the serpent is having with Eve, with Eve the insidious, the, the insidious nature, the nasty, the, the sly, the undermining nature of this conversation lies that what Satan is telling Eve, that defiance of God's law is what really will lead to freedom, right? The insidious nature of its discourse lies in the implication that defiance of God's law constitutes the indispensable precondition for human freedom. This tree is the way that you will really be free in this world, right? And what Satan is offering and what we hear so often about freedom, which is so wrong, is that freedom is found in the absence of any boundaries, right? If you just had no boundaries, if you could just do whatever you want, that would be truly free. And what we understand freedom to be, the real right definition of freedom, is the correct boundaries applied to life, right? Um, If you were a fish and you decided to yourself, 
You know, this ocean is really, it's really confining. I mean, I, I, this is just, I'm stuck in this water all the time. And just cruising. Um, I'm stuck in this water all the time. And if only, if only I could liberate myself from the ocean onto the land, I would truly be free, right? And we would say, the fish, what would happen to the fish? It'd flop up onto the shore and flop up out of the water and it would die. The freedom for the fish is found in the right constraints, right? So just in the garden, when Satan says that the true freedom will be found when you break yourself free from God's law, that's what he is, he is saying, right? Um, so what happens is you have these three commands, and here I will use the I will use the whiteboard. You have these three commands, right? In chapter two, tend it, and then you have um, remember you have the eat, eat, and then you have the don't. One of the things that they're going to want to do in the Bible is they're going to repeat things, but they're going to give a little variance, right? So the repetition with variance that we've talked about happens like this, right? So God gives them this beautiful vocation, the keys to Hawaii. Go for it. I'll be with you. And then Satan twists it and says, you know what? God actually is too strict. He's harsh. How could he command you? to tend a garden. How could he command you just to stay in there, right? So in verse three, Satan just goes and attacks this command. And again, he repeats kind of the command, but there's a little bit of variance. In ver uh, the second one, right, you have God being eat, eat. This is just complete. This is just complete generosity. God just being everything is yours. All you want is yours. And then again, Satan just takes that and, and twists it and says, you know what? God is actually selfish. Right? God is actually self-absorbed because if you eat the one tree that he commanded you not to eat, oh man, then your eyes will be open and you'll be like him. Right? And then he says this, don't eat one. Right? And, and this is all about freedom. God in the garden gives them boundaries and says, here's the proper boundaries for life, right? And Satan says that freedom is actually found in doing whatever you want, which ends up leading to slavery. So when you see the three commands in chapter two, what then you see in chapter three, when Satan is having this conversation with Eve, you have these three kind of counterpoints. Again, it's repetition, but with variance. And this has always been right here, the question that we all kind of have to wrestle to the ground, right? Is God good? Does he give us vocation, work, purpose in this world? Right? Does he give us a direction? Is God generous? Does God lead to freedom? Or do we understand God is strict and harsh, just ready to pounce on us and ready to make us pay for every single mistake we make? Is God selfish? Is God holding out on us? Is God saying, you know, there's actually a better life out there, but I don't want you to have it. And is God's life leave to slavery? So again, when you understand Genesis and when you see these two trees um, happening in Genesis, this, again, this tree narrative, this kind of conversation between Satan or this kind of dichotomy between Satan and God, 
what life is better. This is what has to be wrestled by every person in the world, wrestled to the ground, understood, decided on. And again, we pick this up um, all throughout the biblical narrative. This is the first couple moments of the Bible that we'll pick up. Um, and again, over thousands, this is a question everybody sitting here has to wrestle with this morning, right? Is God really like this? Or is God like this? Um, I think that should do it. I think that should be enough for the morning for this theology of trees. So what I'd like to do is, um, let's just do a little bit of discussion. Uh, for y'all folks back there, we always just do a discussion towards the end. So if you're sitting next to somebody or if you're sitting close to somebody or you want to go get next to somebody, you maybe want to throw on a mask or, um, I always do what I call the three P's. We'll just do those this morning. And that's the praise. What are things you agreed with? What are things you liked? What are things you uh, appreciate about the sermon? And then the, the pushback. Uh, what didn't you agree with? What was uh, maybe something that, that like, I don't, I don't think I, I don't think that was quite said right or, or there, that could be said different. And then maybe there's a problem. Is there any questions that you would have further about the teaching? So just turn to the person next to you and do just a few minutes of that, and then uh, and then we'll do we'll wrap up the, our gathering. Anywhere you want to go, man. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Everyone, open the stool if you want it, or.